Welcome to Hearts and Minds. My name is Catherine McMahon and I'm joined here with Maura Cassidy. Hello. Uh, today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic. Uh, can faith be reasonable? Um, yes. Which is an interesting topic given that we are in the throes of a society that's very much grappling with the balance between science and faith. Yes, it is. And I think um, it's an exciting topic, as you say. Um, I think sometimes what can happen is faith is in that sort of dichotomy or that dialogue. Faith can seem to be slightly childish or superstitious or pre-scientific. So if you believe, you know, at best, it's sometimes indifference, like I'm happy for you. Um, but at worst, it's kind of like, you know, when are you going to come of age intellectually? Um, so I think... Um, but I think it's helpful then to address things like the fact that, yes, our world is complex, um, but even if it's extraordinary, I don't know about you, whenever I look at nature programs, I'm just fascinated by actually how things happen. You know, how certain things manage to pollinate or survive or puffins or penguins, whatever it is, you look at our world and the laws of nature are so complex um, that, well, you can ultimately, it's, 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 for me, and for many people, the fact to say it's a coincidence or it's luck that it all just happened um, is a bit of a stretch, to be honest. And I know many others, like Justin Barley on his unbelievable podcast, has a very good series on that, mm. um, on that whole thing about, look, the world, the laws of our universe, the laws of our universe are actually the laws of maths. So um, to say that it's just, you know, that it just happened um, and that there's not a very sort of precise um, science and laws about it is, is a bit simplistic. So I think it's helpful for those of you who are more mathematically minded, which I'm clearly not, um, it'll be very good if you dig into that. So this podcast is really musings, I would suggest. So wherever, you're, wherever you are at at this point, I'd suggest come along with us on this podcast. Because what we're hoping to do, I think, Catherine, is to look at a little bit of the complexity of our world. What are, why do we have human values? To look at things like free will. Mm -hmm. to look at things like human intuition, to look at things like human desire, to look at things like evil, the radicality of the gospel, um, and then to look at belief as a relationship of trust. And so then we'll have further resources down the footnote in the sense that if people want to delve in further or into get any one of these, hmm, Agreed. we'll have a backup there. Exactly, mm. because we're not going to delve into any one of these things in huge detail, because we do appreciate the audience listening out there. It's a very diverse group of people, and they may like one of a, one of a myriad of those of, of those um, ideas. But just to drill into the typical sort of rational space, um, I think the complexity of the world is, is, a, is a very helpful one to explore if you are a, a real hardcore rationalist. Uh, human values, personally, I find that one very compelling, because why we're motivated in life is usually to do with core values. You know, every, you know, every coach out there talks about human values. What are your core values? Pick your core value. And there's a myriad of core values. Um, you, we get out of bed, maybe for money, maybe for power, maybe for reputation, but that lasts for a certain length of time. Usually values like uh, wanting to make the world a better place, honesty, family values, whatever it is, solidarity, etc. All those other values are ones that actually can be even more compelling. Mm. Um, if you're taking a very rationalist approach, in other words, um, I it would seem that you can't really, um, if we're just a product of evolution, you know, as a material atheist would hold, well, then why would we have human values? Why would you treat a human being different to a dog, you know, to a plant? There's absolutely no reason to do that. 
Okay, there isn't any room for the soul. There isn't any room for the spirit. There isn't any room for values that transcend the body. In other words, there isn't room for love. There isn't room for truth. There isn't room for beauty as they exist as concepts. Okay, yeah, I don't mean to touch. Hmm. Okay, and it's those values that drive us. You know, we do great things in life. Great leaders who've changed the world that we lived in. We live in are people who actually are driven by the right, the rights of the individual, the dignity of the person, by you know love for other people, by whatever, all of those things. So I would su- suggest to, to, to you know to, to question, to double click on that one of human values, because um, life without those values is really going back to the Roman Empire. And for anybody who hasn't read Tom Holland's book, and there's a product placement um, uh, on Dominion, just read the whole chapter on um, on torture. Yeah, I haven't read that book, and I really want to, but it's a big tome. It's very big, but you could take it on your summer holidays. <laughs> yeah. You could. Each week. But yeah. I actually say I couldn't finish the chapter on torture. Yeah. It was very, and because it, it went into the detail of torture. And you might think, well, so what? What did Christianity do? Well, in its, in its, in its time, Christianity changed all of that. Mm. Like it was very acceptable to throw people to the lines. It was very acceptable to have gladiators. You know, they were like the equivalent of a football match, you know? Yeah, and not every human being was equal. Exactly. That was very obvious in those yeah. days. Whereas, yeah. And certainly if you have any vulnerability or special needs, you were definitely on the periphery of society. Mm. And that's what Christianity turned on its head. And the equality of women, well, that's why statistically the number of women who became Christians was extremely high because they were treated as equals. Mm. Um, so sociologically, Christianity had a lot to offer. Free will is another interesting one. You know, and that's why I think it's interesting this podcast to juxtapose the, the atheist with the believer. The atheist is essentially somebody who's deterministic. In other words, doesn't believe in free will. Okay? The things happen randomly. Because free will is, is um, it means that I can choose, that I have agency. Okay? Whereas if I'm, a, if I'm a product of evolution, well, then that doesn't exist. I'm just within a universe that has laws and they come and they go and I don't have a choice about it. Mm. It just happens. Okay, whereas in the Christian space, obviously, we have, we're made in the image and likeness of God. We have an intellectual capacity. We choose. We have agency. All of these things. Um, I think it's also helpful to juxtapose um, rationality with intuition. Okay? And this is just amusing that I've been thinking about lately, is we are obsessed by data in our world. Of course we are. Um, we are obsessed by the scientific truths of things, which has its place. Um, but I would suggest is that there are other truths out there. And while data is really important, data is information. It's not necessarily knowledge. And it's how the significance of that data, what it tells us, but also who's it serving. So if you're looking at, you know, there's a sign says we can do X or we can do Y. Mm. You know, we can't clone, say, for example, human beings, for example, if you ever did go down that route. Um, well, is that a good thing to do? Who is that serving? I think it's a very important question to ask. Um, Pete Davis in his book, Dedicated, talks about moral neutrality and the danger of moral neutrality. You know, it's all about regulation. It's not so much about, is that true? Is that right? Is that good? Or the majority. Exactly. Mm. You know, is, so mm. I think they're all very interesting. Louise Perry also, when she's talking about the sexual revolution, does explore some of those, that, those, 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 you know, values. I um, think as well, technology has, when we think of science, obviously technology plays a huge role in how we view our life. Yes. And its control. Yes. You know, and I'm just thinking now, like, 
AI has kind of taken center stage, you know, since maybe January. I mean, obviously two or three mm. years ago previous, but in more mainstream use of it now, AI is kind of more oh, mainstream. It's huge. And it's you're kind of looking at this and you're you're realizing people are are using AI to find deeper questions of life, but it can only give you an accumulation of data. And it doesn't data, necessarily give you the wisdom you need. You exactly. Know. It doesn't, you're not um, discerning. How do you know if that's true, if that's good? And it's also what's available online since 2020. Mm-hmm. That's chat, what, chat GBT? Yeah. That's what's there. So basically, if you're putting anything in there, if something's very well documented on the internet since 20, well, well up yeah. until 2022, forgive me. So it's from the beginning of the internet up till then. Great. But if it's not, it's not relevant. Yeah. And it's not true and it's not good and it's not knowledge. It's not data. Hmm. So already we've sort of done a complete sort of a filter there hmm. of what we, um, so there is a whole space there exploring what is what is what is knowledge yeah you know is data going to be if it's if it's up-to-date data is that what knowledge is for us now mm-hmm. you know is it mr google now that we go to for everything or is it you know just pick up a book like very little is human person hasn't really evolved a whole pile you know in terms of our needs or in terms of our you know our, our desires we're pretty much the same as mm-hmm. we always were how we do things has changed certainly how we how we yeah. perceive things has changed, but the the mechanics of the human person is pretty much the same. Mm. I would suggest mm. again musings here, but I just encourage people to actually no, explore that. True, yeah. And I think as well, if you Peter Kreeft is very interesting on this, it's the whole area of desire, because of course he would suggest that desire for him as a young man was always what what really you might say pushed him to to really deepen in his own faith. You know, particularly when people go to university, they start being challenged, they start thinking, and they're surrounded by maybe people with different values or whatever. And he he, expl- he explains it beautifully, the whole idea of desire, the desire for more of, you know, we're driven by a desire for love, we're driven by a desire for goodness, where, you know, how many times we can have just, a, you know, belly laugh with friends and we just, we, we could put it on repeat, you know, because it was such a wonderful, you know, moment with people we love or, you know, somebody who loves somebody, you know, has met somebody and you're just euphoric. You, you'd love to continue that moment. There are golden moments in our life that we just wish that we could continue forever. And Peter Kreef would suggest, he's not the only one, but Pope Benedict the Sixteenth had a beautiful um, series of catechesis on the pedagogy of desire. That whole thing that we are made for more because we desire more. And desire is not in the tangible. Hmm. You know, you, you don't desire a pizza. You'd like to have a pizza. And once you've had a pizza, you can only have so much pizza. But you can always have more love. You can always have more truth. You know, and that's yes, a, it's like the the intangibles that you can't really tap into. Yeah, but it's funny while you were talking, I was thinking of this thing of yesterday. I, I went to this house and there was uh, a grown man there who's obviously well, obviously no, but he um, he had a you know he's special needs and he'd be like around six years of age more or less mentally. I'm guessing I don't know, but when I opened the door, he gave me this massive hug. Okay, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, you know, people like that while it's not knowledge you're receiving, you're tapping into something about yourself deeper than yourself, mm. about an identity that you have that's love that cannot be measured. Mm. And I think we lose sight of that mm. in many respects in our society because we think everything should be perfect and controlled mm. and the things of his life is kind of, well, does he have a fulfilled life or, you know, what is a fulfilled mm. life? You know, so mm. it, it is interesting with those when you meet people like that, that they do tap into an, a core 
part of you that nothing else could tap mm. into. Nothing else can reach that, you yeah. know. So. And I think it's lovely how you describe that because it's experiential. Yeah, yeah. And I do think, um, as women, I would suggest, we have that sensitivity, that intuition. Mm. And that experience of ex- just experience that unconditional love reminds you of what we yearn for. Mm. But um, that whole idea of intuition... Um, both you and I were at a, a, a talk the other day given by um, Dr. Marie Cowther Dowda from Oriel College in Oxford. And she actually had a very interesting insight on the whole thing about rationality. That rationality has a tendency to disbelief or to unbelief. In other words, dry reason. In other words, I want to nail it. Mm. I want to control it, control it, it in yeah. a sense. And modern man is obsessed, or modern women are obsessed with the need to control. Mm. We want to control things. Uh, maybe it's because we live in a world that's economically unstable. We have a war on the periphery of Europe, well, in Europe, effectively. So many things are unstable about our world, but we desperately yearn for certainty. But certainty, that's actually unhealthy because we're trying to control things that we can't control. But I thought her insight was very, and got me thinking, because, you know, she basically suggested that it's our human limitations, you know, our desire to control and to possess and, you know, maybe tyrannical, the tyrant that's in each of us, um, that would want us to, to lead us to disbelief because faith is almost, it's, it's a step into the unknown, okay? But I thought how she put it was, um, if you, so if you use dry reason alone, you end up not believing at all. And that's why intu- intuition is so important. You know, intuition is like, but perhaps, Intuition is that kind of gut feeling, a bit like when you meet somebody who, something about them, you go, yeah, what is it that you have? You can't that you don't know and neither can you control, neither yeah. can you secure for you yourself. You can't. Yeah. And maybe it's, you know, the love you, you experienced or maybe it's just the kindness of somebody. Mm. Like somebody said to me recently going into a gathering of people I know who are amazing and she said, there's something awfully welcoming about this. What is it? And it was just the warmth of the people in the room. Uh, I don't mean physically, but the warmth, the emotional warmth. But I thought that was a really interesting idea because, and she used an image of a fishing rod, that a fishing rod, you throw it out there and it lands and you don't know where it's going to land and you don't even know uh, if it's going to bring anything back. You could have done a really bad job. Um, but if we only trust our reason, well then her suggestion was, it's going to take a miracle to move you forward. So, but what if... You know, it's like that famous story of a rabbi who was reading his Torah and, and this famous atheist said to him, you, you believe that, do you believe? And he said, you believe in God. And he, you know, went on a bit of a rant with this rabbi and the rabbi turned to him and he said, said nothing. And then he said, but what if? In other words, by all means believe, uh, you know, your, your truth, but what if my truth is true? Um, so I think, I think that's interesting is that, uh, I suppose it's a combination of intuition. Our intuition will take us somewhere where our reason won't. And it's a combination of that beautiful desire that we are created with a heart, you are created with an intellect. You know, we just can't be like sort of rational robots in the, in the dry sense of the word. There is a space for rationality. But reason will only take us so far. Uh, that, as I said, but I have to say, that is not to say that reason needs to take us far enough in terms of faith, to be able to say faith is logical. Faith is reasonable. And we will put the Summa Theologica as a resource at the bottom of this podcast because it is a very reasonable and I won't say an easy read, but it's not desperately hard. It's a whole series of questions which St. Thomas Aquinas answers. And he's trying to marry, you might say, faith with, you know, with philosophy. 
and show that it's... We'll put the section, though, the, the section. We'll put the section about. on it. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We can put the whole lot there for those who really mm. want to dig in. But in any event, we'll put the section on, on faith and reason. Um, so I suppose, and the other, I think the other interesting idea that kind of ties in very nicely with this, and Catherine, I'm sure you've, you've thoughts on this, but the, the idea that science has replaced religion, I think it's a bit lazy because, and it is often left unchallenged because science is about exploring a certain reality, the tangible world we can measure and observe. You know, it's what we can put into a Petri dish, but you can't put everything into a Petri dish. You can't put the human heart, I don't mean the physical organ, but you can't put the heart of the person, the desire of the person. Mm -hmm the full emotional, psycho psychological makeup of the person into a Petri dish. You can certainly see the biological, you know, whatever's going on there, mm -hmm. but you can't put that in there. And uh, we won't find God there either, in the same way as you might find another galaxy or another star. You know, science won't find God because God necessarily needs to be bigger than science. He needs to be outside our reality. Otherwise, he would be our reality and he wouldn't be God. So... Um, Science and religion ask different questions. Science asks, science asks what and when, uh, whereas religion explores the how, uh, which in itself isn't dependent on the what, you know? Um, you know, the big star that scientists find is dependent on the how. You know, it had to come into being. Um, the beauty and the complexity of our world, um, you know, had to come from somewhere, you know, they didn't just happen, um, and it had to be something outside that world that created. Of course, Catholics, many Catholics believe in the Big Bang theory. In fact, the the um, that theory was developed by a Belgian Catholic priest, by George Lemaitre, um, because he said a non-dependent creature or being, excuse me, God needed to have created that atom in the first place. Okay, and that atom needed to have been created out of nothing. You know, and that's the whole idea of contingency. You know, something has to come from nothing, ultimately. Yeah. Because otherwise, we're going, it's like the domino, the domino, the domino. Yeah. You know, you have to go back to somewhere and you can't. Mm -hmm. So I think that's also a very helpful idea. Um, I think the other idea that's very helpful in this discussion about, you know, can faith be reasonable is also to look back at why, how have we got here? You know, why have we become such believers in science, almost to the exclusion of all other kinds of proof? You know, and I think it goes back to the Enlightenment. Well, I think, I know, everybody says it. It's something I'm saying that's new here. You know, because the truth about it is um, the creator doesn't sit well in our world because we see ourselves as creators. You know, the word create, self-create, you know, comes up everywhere. Just Google it, you know. Um, we see ourselves as doers, drivers, makers, shakers. You know, um, I had a, a lecture in college, he taught Irish, and um, he used to hate the fact that people in English used to say, you know, grow it. He says, you don't grow things, because that's not a human capacity. Mm. You know, you put water, and it, it grows. Mm. But it's outside, you, you, you know, you can study the growth, but you didn't make it happen. And I think it's because we've actually put our, you know, I thought it was a very interesting insight. He got obsessed by it because of language. Yeah. I thought it was a very interesting insight in philosophically. But... Um, that all goes back to the Enlightenment, you know, um, and that's where, you know, modern democracy has come from. That's where science has come from, which is all wonderful. But Enlightenment did drive a wedge between belief and reality because the Enlightenment thinkers said that what you believe had to be based on scientific fact. It had to be tangible and that any other form of knowledge was irrational. Yeah, I often think that we really don't realize the influence that philosophy has had in our lives. Yeah. You know, because, you know, sometimes I say to people, you know, you think you think originally, but you don't. Mm. You're the result 
the product of philosophers who were thinking and conjuring up these fantastic ideas about a hundred years ago and have then filtered down into your iPhone, you mm -hmm. know, and it's just to be able to kind of step out of that and kind of realize, question things, question mm -hmm. things, question things, and be willing to kind of be in the unknown in that questioning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's interesting. That. To be the I think explorer. It's that, yeah, because it's, it's so comfortable, but it's also despairing mm -hmm. to be just in the security of mm -hmm. the now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because, um, yeah, it is interesting actually. Like we do need certain certainties. Sorry, the double, um, but at the same time, this whole thing of controlling and being in the now always and knowing exactly what's happening, when it's happening, and where it's coming from, our obsession with that is uh, has led to a lot of mental health problems. Exactly, you know, because you can and, never be secure, secure, no, hundred percent secure. No, you could, anything, so. you could have a, you know, an unknown hmm. sort of a heart condition. Mm -hmm. You know, lots of things can happen in life that you have no control over. Mm. I do think there is a space for moral certainties. And I think that's largely the problem with, I suppose, our space right now is that there aren't moral certainties. Um, we do need to have a sense of what is objective truth. Mm. We do need to know, you know, um, beauty, you know, all of these things. Why? Because... Um, Otherwise, if everything is just, you might say, if everything is completely sort of individual, well then, you know, YOLO, you know. And I think also if you anchor yourself in moral certainty, you're also able to engage in other people's uncertainty. Yeah. But I think for many people, because they're not anchored in that moral certainty, they protect themselves in other ways. They yeah. bubble wrap themselves in other ways because they're afraid to almost... Be challenged. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then they're super fragile. Well, this is Charles Taylor all over, yeah. the philosopher. He essentially says we either choose between a buffered self or a poorer self. And the buffered self is exactly what you've described. Mm. Somebody who literally can't cope with anything that doesn't, you know, they step away from any sort of suffering, difficulty, non-controllables. And that means you step away from life. Because mm -hmm. that's what, you know, most of life really is, you know, as you go through life, it's maybe somebody you know and love is suffering for psychologically or suffering physically. Maybe there's been a, a financial difficulty. It's a whole series of things that happen in life that are unstable because life is unstable. What's stable is our relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, what's stable is actually the non-tangibles, the values. That's what you choose to align with. You don't, you can't control things. You certainly can't control outcomes. So that's the buffer, that's the, the, the buffered self. And then the poor self, as Charles Taylor described it, is the person who's open to what, we, as reality shows up. And that's, that's a lovely person to be with because they tend to be people who are kind of, look, do you know what? We'll get through this, you know, or they struggle, but they're not afraid of their own struggle. They're not afraid of their own vulnerability. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, as, as, um, as, as, um, uh, as David Brooks says, you know, in, in The Road to Character, you know, he talks about these people. He says, they're people you can see who struggle and have their limitations and they're not perfect, but they own them. And the very fact that they're willing to struggle in them hmm. is in itself, you might say, a celebration of humanity. Yeah, and we admire people oh. like that. We admire them so much. But mm. then when it comes to ourselves, we just don't want to go there. No, because so. we're afraid. Hmm. We're afraid of it because there's so much to do. <laughs> 
obsessed with getting stuff done. Doers, doers. Actually, I was reading a book, um, just to bring the spiritual in, uh, the religious, I suppose. I was reading a book there written um, about this young young man called Pedro Ballesteros. He's 21, he died of cancer and, you know, he had a reputation for holiness and there's hopefully his cause of, 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 of canonization or will be opened up. But what is beautiful about it in the book, they do describe how he, things really cost him growing up, like the fact that his family moved so much, the fact... You know, so many things cost him. You know, or his illness. You know, he's got angry. There's a lot. Of, you just read the book or watch the, the the little documentary on him. But the fact is um, that he got up again. That it's human is just being able to to start again, to begin, to begin again, to begin again. That's what it means to be human. And I think that's something that it's we need to celebrate more. And I, going back to the Enlightenment, I think it's helpful because because the Enlightenment put such prized individual freedom, and I would say freedom in inverted commas, as I define it, you know, um, as what I think is good, what I think is true uh, in life, um, it could become very, you might say, well, very individualistic in the bad sense of the word. And the, the human person became at the center of, of values, which sounds like a lovely idea, but we put God outside and put him on the periphery. And what happens then is, well, we know ourselves, human, you might like to call it human limitations, or from a Catholic Christian perspective, it's called original sin, fallen man and fallen woman, is that if we are putting ourselves center stage in terms of defining goodness and defining truth, we didn't self-create, so that's problematic. It's problematic because we know what happens, dictatorships, tyrannies, wars, etc. Um, and so I think... I think the important thing for us, I suppose, is to see that um, we are not irrational dreamers, non-realistic and non-scientific, not at all. But we happen to believe in science, but we don't just believe in it. Um, we believe in things that we can't put into a Petri dish. And that doesn't mean we believe in goblins and fairies either. I don't. Um, and we do believe there's more to life than rational or reasonable. There is more to it. And if we reduce it just to what I can reason with my mind, well, then I'm reducing myself just to my dry reason. And I'm more than that. Mm -hmm. I have a heart. I have, mo I have a desire. I yearn for loves. I learn for so many other things outside that. So it's a very sort of a limited, I would suggest, dry approach, uh, I think. That's great, Maura. Well, thank you very much for that conversation, as you called it, the musings, musings. Um, which is very helpful. And yeah, we'll, we'll have a couple of things that we'll put at the very end. And I think also that uh, documentary on Pedro Ballesteros would be very helpful as well, mm. um, if anybody wanted to watch it. So thank you very much. And we'll be chatting again. Super. Thank you.